You're listening to Selfish. This is where we bring self-care and bravery together to encourage you to follow your dreams. Here's your host, your favorite selfish enthusiast, Allie Hembree-Martin. Dr. Jolene Brighton is a functional naturopathic medical doctor and nutritional biochemist with a focus in women's endocrine health. She is recognized as a leading expert in post-birth control syndrome and the long-term side effects associated with hormonal contraceptives. I read her book, Beyond the Pill, and I knew we had to have a conversation. Dr. Brighton, thank you so much for joining me today. Hey there. Thanks so much for having me. So first, tell us about yourself. Yeah, well, I am. I'm actually sitting in rainy Portland, Oregon right now. (laughs) So um, I'm a naturopathic physician. I'm also a nutritional biochemist, the author of Beyond the Pill. I have a women's clinic, but we focus primarily on hormonal health. And I'm also an urban farmer and a mama. Yay. So... You mentioned Beyond the Pill. Tell us, what led you to write that book? So Beyond the Pill is a book that encompasses how, you know, basically understanding your body. It's like everything you should have gotten in sex ed, how your hormones work, and the role that hormonal birth control plays in our health. So, you know, I have a lot of books, (laughs) many bookshelves in my house, and I have a lot of hormone books. And I think that books are a fantastic way uh, to really explore topics at a much deeper level. And I recommend, there's lots of hormone books I recommend that my patients read, but, you know, there was this theme where uh, everybody was in, you know, in these hormone books talking about ways to naturally balance your hormones, helping educate about hormones, But no real conversation was coming up around hormonal birth control. And so, you know, that was that was part of why I'm like, you know, I really want to write a book that includes this information because, you know, 80 percent of women have used hormonal birth control. And a lot of my patients uh, have had a history with it or are currently on it as well. But there's also this phenomenon of when you come off of birth control and it's what I've termed post-birth control syndrome. Where we think, you know, we could just come off birth control and everything will go back to normal. Or maybe that was just me um, who thought that after a decade on the pill. And so I wanted to give women insight into what does hormonal birth control do to their body? I spent 10 years on it and I really didn't even know how it worked, let alone how it was impacting every system of my body and how to transition off successfully. So these days, what we've come to see is that hormonal birth control is really given as a fix-all for any female condition. Mm -hmm. You've got migraines, you've got headaches, you've got acne, you've got irregular periods, painful periods, but then no one's really asking why. So I wanted to give women other options, root cause solutions beyond just going on birth control and educate them about their body and their options so that they can go to their doctor informed and have a much more productive conversation so that they get the best health care that they need. And really that to me is what spoke from the book is you're not necessarily saying you need to do this or you need to do that. You are more of an advocate for women of having all the information so that they can make that informed decision. And um, I think many people will choose to not be on the birth control once they do have all that information. But Share with us what some of the issues are that the pill does cause that women typically don't know about, that doctors don't share with them. 
Yeah. You know, there's a lot that as doctors were not taught about birth control. I mean, the majority of the information in the book about how it impacts your adrenals, your thyroid, your gut, your liver, your gallbladder, like all of these systems uh, was really came out of my own independent research, working with patients one-on-one. All the protocols in the book were actually developed with real women <laughs> in my mm. clinical practice. They're not based in theory. But, you know, it isn't that your doctor is withholding information. It's just that they haven't been given the full story about birth control. And it really is a story that goes that, you know, the birth control, uh, we should, you know, be grateful that we have it. And yes, I agree with that. It's a great uh, medical advancement we've seen. But the story really is, is that the side effects are so few and so rare. Like, you know, it's not really worth covering. And I think the big ones that most of us are familiar with are things like clots which can lead to pulmonary embolism or having a stroke. But the other things that, I mean, I was blown away when I started reading into PubMed how much birth control impacts every single system and how much we're not talking about that. So we know that hormonal birth control, uh, the way that it works, so I think this is really important for every woman to understand that birth control works on your brain. That is how it stops you from ovulating. So when your doctor says, you know, things like uh, there's no way it could impact your mood and, you know, uh, there's just not enough evidence to show causation. We do have to keep in mind that it does elicit its effect by impacting your brain and the function of your brain and the signaling to your ovaries. So we do see women who report and we had, we've had large studies coming, um, the Danish study that came out in 2016 showing a correlation between depression and uh, starting hormonal birth control. We know that teenagers are at higher risk of suicide now. I mean, and keep in mind, this birth control was introduced you know, much more widely in the 1960s. And only now, it wasn't until 2016 that we had a large study that really validated what women have been saying since the introduction of birth control. So I think this is really important for everyone to understand that there are questions that science hasn't even asked, but women are reporting and doctors are dismissing because there's no research to support it. But the lack of asking the question doesn't mean that there is lack of evidence. It's just it's just not the way we want it, right? We want it in a study. I love to see the studies, but we're hearing it from the women who are on birth control. So we've got mood alterations. Hormonal birth control induces intestinal hyperpermeability or leaky gut. Um, it also is associated with several autoimmune conditions, including Crohn's disease. If you have a family history of Crohn's disease, which is to say you likely have the genetics, after five years on the pill specifically, we can see that you're probably about an over 300% increased risk of developing uh, Crohn's disease. And this wow. was a study out of Harvard showing, showing the impact of birth birth control in that way. We know that birth control can cause dysbiosis, so disruption of the good gut bugs, but also not just in your gut, but in your mouth and vagina too, which is why we see overgrowth of yeast. So chronic yeast infections, um, we can see uh, changes to the oral mucosa, so the oral tissue. So yeah, uh, this is really like a dentist arena. You can talk to dentists about what they see while women are on birth control. You know, birth control uh, leads to nutrient deficiencies. So things like zinc, selenium, magnesium, B vitamins, CoQ10, vitamin C, vitamin A. So this is really important to understand that if you're on birth control now, you're not like, you know, if, I hear sometimes women are like, I'm so stupid because I'm using birth control. You're not stupid, okay? And that may very well be the best decision for you. 
But if you're on it now, and we know that these things can happen, one, we need to make sure that you're educated about what to look out for so you know when to talk to your doctor. Um, sometimes doctors say like, and, and I get, they'll message me on Instagram, for example, and say, you know, you shouldn't be sharing the side effects. That really should just happen in a doctor's visit. Like um, that needs to happen in a one-on-one conversation. The problem is, is it's not happening. But these doctors will argue that, well, women, if they're having an issue, should come see their doctor. But we, how, why are we putting that on the patient to know that if it's time to see a doctor or not? Um, yeah, there's some extreme things that like, we're like, you know, as women, we're like, yeah, of course I need to go to the doctor. But there are things like um, depression that come up after starting birth control, um, n- weird skin rashes, acne. Um, in some women, they have changes in their bowel movements. I mean, when you're told that hormonal birth control only impacts your reproductive system, you may not be making that connection. And how would you know if your doctor didn't tell you? And so that's really what you know. I'm I'm on a mission uh, to accomplish is to get women educated about the impact of hormonal birth control so that they do know when to go to a doctor, they do know when to ask for lab testing, and that they do understand that for as long as we've had birth control available, there have been very little studies on the long-term impact of like what happens. Like what actually happens when a woman spends decades on birth control and never really had ovulatory cycles on her own? I can't tell you. No one can tell you because we don't know. And there are a lot of people who, rightly so, are afraid that if we talk about the side effects of birth control, that women will be afraid to take it or we might lose access to it. And I, for one, believe that we can advocate for education and for every woman to be informed while we also advocate for access. And I don't I don't subscribe to this idea that women are so dumb, we can't tell them about the side effects because they'll just worry their pretty heads and then not take it. Mm. I have many patients who I do an, an individualized informed consent and I go over everything with birth control and they still opt to use birth control because they feel like that's the best thing for them. It's not my job to judge them, to tell them what to do with their bodies. It's my job to educate them and then support them in their decision. Wow. I mean, it's so true that there's so many side effects and symptoms that you share in the book that I was just blown away. I mean, I've been taking it for 17 years now and no longer after reading your book, but there were just so many things that I never had made that connection because who would have ever thought that um, there would be a correlation. So thank you so much for for bringing to light those symptoms and the connections that we really haven't heard before. Yeah, and it's something that, you know, for women listening, uh, the fastest way I have found critics to dismiss me for saying things that are inconvenient, and believe me, this is not only inconvenient, but it's not a fun conversation sometimes. So the fastest way is they'll just say, well, she's anti-birth control, so don't listen to her. And I'm like, well, the funny thing is I was born to two teenagers and am a first-generation college student who leveraged birth control as a way to not become pregnant as a teenager, like many women in my family have. And you know, with that, I can absolutely see the benefits that birth control has given me personally. But also, I'm not, you know, ignoring the research that's shown that, you know, we see pay increase, we see college graduation rates increase when the pill was introduced to women. And so I'm not anti-birth control. In fact, I'm not 
anti any pharmaceutical really. Um, I know as I say that there are some like, you know, bigger, scary ones. And we are in the wake of, you know, uh, all of the, the, the opioid crisis, but even still those, those drugs do have a time and a place. We just have to be mindful how we're using any medical intervention. And it's not just birth control and it's not just, you know, pharmaceuticals. It's also herbs. It's also nutrition. I mean, all of these things, we just have to be really aware of how we're leveraging them and how they impact the individual. Hmm. Now, something you mentioned and what I know I will be about to experience is what you call the post birth control syndrome. Talk to Mm -hmm. us about does every female experience this coming off of the pill and what does this entail? Well, so post-birth control syndrome, like all syndromes in medicine, is a collection of signs and symptoms that go together. And when you understand that birth control impacts every system in your body, then you can understand how you can show up in a lot of ways. Um, So with that, we typically see symptoms arise about four to six months after stopping birth control. For some women, it's sooner. For some women, it's later. And for those women that it's later, what I often find is that they had issues, but like most women, they powered through them until they couldn't anymore. So with post-birth control syndrome, It's really my hope that, you know, we started with this common language, this common term, so we can all start talking about this very real phenomenon that so many of us, myself included, have experienced and is like so many things in women's medicine being dismissed. It's funny when I hear from people who are like, well, there's no study that uses this term. Therefore, it can't be real. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, okay, you don't need a study to believe women's stories. And also like, It's very much my hope that in 20 years, we're like, this is the condition formerly known as post-birth control syndrome because we've actually dialed in what is going on here. Mm. Because we see several phenomenons that I talk about in the book. Like one is androgen rebound, which is where suddenly the ovaries are like, yay, we can make testosterone again. And um, maybe sex hormone binding globulin, uh, these protein that binds sex hormones doesn't remain elevated as it can in some women. And so, you know, this testosterone surges, we get oily skin, we start to get acne. With post-birth control syndrome, I find that acne rarely stays on the face. It's usually also showing up like chest knee, back knee, butt knee, like you name it, and Mm. acne. I mean, acne on the shoulders. Um, So we can see skin issues start to rise. We can see new onset neurological issues. Women come off of birth control, now they're having brain fog migraines, anxiety, depression. Uh, Mood doesn't always get better when women come off of birth control. Sometimes it does and sometimes it doesn't. We can also see uh, digestive issues start to arise. So one thing that I've hypothesized and I'd like to see more research on is that when women come off of birth control, they don't always necessarily start ovulating again regularly, which can leave them in a state of estrogen dominance in which uh, the gallbladder and estrogen are very much tied together. And so I've had patients you know, who have come off of birth control and then they've lost their gallbladder and they come to see me afterwards and we go through their timeline. I've also had women writing me this same story of like, I came off of birth control and then six months later I lost my gallbladder. Like what is going on with that? Mm. And that's not to say that birth control directly caused you to lose your gallbladder, but it played a role. And that's the thing I think is hard for people to wrap their head around sometimes is that many conditions are multifactorial. And Science wants to be really clean and show causation and be like, 
you took the pill and it cost this. But some it's much more complex, especially in women's health, where it's like, well, you took birth control and then it depleted zinc and vitamin A. We know those are crucial for your skin and crucial for gut health as well. And so, you know, it contributed to nutrient deficiencies, but did it directly cause that acne? Well, maybe, maybe not. And so, you know, that's that's kind of the issue here is it's a lot more nuanced. And you know, in talking about post-birth control syndrome, we need to have this language around it so that we can develop it further. It's like when, you know, adrenal fatigue stepped onto the scene or leaky gut stepped onto the scene. And these are, you know, very much considered more layman terms. There are some people out there that like to shame people for using them. I don't think that we should be shaming people on that language. Um, and then what they say is that it's medically inaccurate true. And that's why we can take the opportunity when someone says adrenal fatigue to say, I understand what you're saying. And what's really going on is HPA dysregulation, as I talk about in the book. But we've seen that, you know, like leaky gut, people would say, well, you can't search that in PubMed and we, we can't find a study on it. Therefore, it's not real. Now we have all these studies on intestinal hyperpermeability. And like, there are still people out there denying it. And it's a crazy thing to me because mm. what that is, is that's belief. And belief doesn't have a place in science. Like belief has a place. I believe in patients' uh, own self-care. I do think their belief in their ability to heal, their belief you know, and trust in their doctor, like these things have a place. But in terms of the scientific method and really evaluating things and being objective and improving medicine, we can't say, well, I don't believe in that condition. Like, okay, fine. You don't believe in post-birth control syndrome. Can you put your belief aside then? You don't have to call it that, but can you still help her without putting her right back on birth control? Because that's often what happens. Now, to your question, does every woman experience this? I find the majority of women struggle when they're coming off of birth control and especially the longer that they've been on it. However, I have been successful with the protocols that you'll find in Beyond the Pill. Uh, I've been successful with helping women transition off. I've had women that have you know, try to come off of birth control like three times and it was complete hormone chaos and hell every single time. Mm. Then I put them through a three-month protocol and I'm like, okay, we're going to work with your body. Now we're going to identify what's going on here. And then we help them transition off and they're like, oh my God, I didn't break out like I was 14. Like I didn't go through those wild nude swings. Oh my God, I don't have those like surge of blood flow that makes me feel like I had one patient that was like, I feel like it's just Carrie. It's that movie Carrie, like my parents it comes and it's just like, there it is. Um, I find the language that women use to talk about their periods highly entertaining. And I know there's people out there that are like, we need to all use the same terms and it's a period and blood flow. And I'm like, I, I can't help but chuckle when someone says shark week. Like I, it's just like, <laughs> there I go right there. Um, but it's something where I think we can all definitely, you know, understand when, when women use this descriptive language, like what's going on for them. And as a, a physician, I always find great. I'm very interested in how the patient actually tells the story, the language they use, the posturing of their body as they explain things. Um, it's very telling about their relationship. And so Sometimes you'll see women start to talk about their period and they begin to recoil and they like slouch their shoulders and they start to fold in and like, um, and then, then come, and that's when it prompts me to be like, how painful are those? Cause you're already gesturing as if you're, you're in pain mm -hmm. with that. 
But it is, I think it is possible to avoid post birth control syndrome and the universal uh, factor. And I've had, you know, the book came out in January. And since then, I mean, we have had thousands of women writing us. And the women who are writing saying this is the first time I've been successful in transitioning off. So, mind you, these are not women who've never tried to come off before. These are women who have tried and their doctor have set, has said, get right back on it. There's no other choice. They have gone through the protocol in Beyond the Pill and it's a 30-day protocol. We could talk about like why it's probably not going to be just 30 days for you and, and what I mean by that. But, um, you know, they spend like three to six months in doing that and transition off and they're like, this is the first time I feel like I'm actually living in my body and that like everything is my normal. Mm. And you have supplements that also support uh, that process that um, that I'm I'm taking myself and really can tell a difference. And you give a you know diet and it, it's a whole regimen that you share in the book. Are there any tips that you can give broadly to women that um, are looking to balance their hormones after getting off of uh, birth control and avoiding those post birth control syndrome symptoms? Totally. So, I mean, number one, uh, yes, there are supplements, but number one is diet and lifestyle. Like if you're not doing those supplements are, they're only going to do so much for you. And so, you know, every time in the book that I bring up a nutrient that's helpful, I also list the foods that you can find that in so that you're making sure that you're eating a diet to help support your body. I also included recipes and a meal plan in the book. Um, I'm a foodie, so they had to be delicious. We were eating these recipes for months in my house and I'm like, is it like, yeah, to just get it just right. There's a lot you can do with food um, in order to build up nutrient stores, to support liver detoxification, to feed those critters that grow in your gut that are everything in terms of your hormonal health. We don't often think about the gut for our hormones, but it's it's a big one. And that's why in the book, you know, I start with like liver health and then we go into gut health and then we go into adrenal and thyroid because the reality is, is if any of those systems are struggling, your sex hormones are absolutely going to struggle and they're not the starting place, although you want them to be, they're not the starting place in terms of getting your um, entire system back into balance. And, you know, I do have to say, um, it's a funny thing when you write a book and you're like, I, you know, I called the liver chapter, it was just called the liver chapter. It's called mm -hmm. uh, Birth Control Hormone Detox 101 now. But um, you write a book and you're like, people are going to get me. They're going to understand what I'm saying. And now I've come to see that there are people who are saying, your body will never detox these synthetic hormones out unless you take supplements, unless you do this, unless you... No, 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 no. The focus of that chapter was to teach women how your body naturally detoxifies your own hormones and these synthetic hormones because it mm -hmm. will do that. But we have to support your liver. And your liver needs things like B vitamins and then minerals that are depleted by birth control. So with that, yes, diet. Yes, lifestyle, we've got to be sleeping, we've got to be moving our body, we've got to be like, you know, guarding our stress. And then we we talk about supplements and the supplements are in there. And um, it's something that, you know, when the book started out, there was actually no supplement tables. It was all very focused on diet and lifestyle. And then we began to hear from more and more women about like, you know, um, so like in chapter four, there's a very specific supplement table. This is something people were asking for. 
the protocols that you'll find using supplements, this is exactly what I use uh, within my clinic. And so um, I wanted to be careful though, because I didn't want to put it in supplements and women think like, oh, I just take a bunch of supplements and, and that's everything. There's a lot more to it. And really I designed the book to help you build your own user manual to your body. Like it's not a one and done. It's meant to be something that you can go back to over and over again. That's why chapter one right away has that hormone quiz so that you can get in, you can start, uh, you know, troubleshooting what's going on with your hormones and start supporting them right away. And for every woman that's on birth control, she's going to need a multivitamin or prenatal. The reality is, is that that is one that area that you can't really out diet the nutrient deficiencies being created by hormonal birth control. And this is pretty standard. I sometimes get people who push back on me and they're like, no, but not every woman needs to have like, you know, a prenatal. And I'm like, it's, 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 it is advised that if you are sexually active in your reproductive years, that you should be on a prenatal multivitamin or at least be getting folate. And I mean, at one point there was a formulation of birth control with folic acid in it because they mm. recognize that, you know, it's not 99% effective in the way that women use it. That's perfect use. But with typical use, I mean, it's like 91% effective, which means nine out of 100 women will get pregnant using it. By the time you take that pregnancy test and you have a positive, you already need folate for your baby and you're on a medication that's depleting that. And so that's another reason why I think it's really important to have that supplement on board, but also just to be supporting your body overall. If you are, if you are like, this is the thing that baffles me. Any other medication out there, statins, we know that they cause issues with CoQ10, so we recommend you supplement with CoQ10. Metformin, we know it causes issues with B12 in a per, uh, percentage of the population, so we recommend you supplement with B12. But when it comes to birth control, which is one of the biggest drug-mugging drugs, um, which means that it depletes all kinds of nutrients, this is something where it's there's not only studies on this. It exists in drug handbooks. It exists in medical databases. It exists in dietitians' uh, education to know this. Um, but this is the one where people are like so flippant and dismissive. And I think it's because birth control, the story around birth control is really gone back to that. Like it's safe. It's every woman's right. Like don't, you know, we can't withhold it from women because that's anti-women. Um, and these things, like I understand where they come from. I mean, we're under threat like all the time in the United States with women's health. I don't understand. Like, I just don't understand uh, as a woman, but also as a, you know, naturopathic physician, how it is that like politicians with zero science training, let mm. alone medical training, make so many laws that govern and regulate women's bodies. And it, it like really, really baffles me. So like, I get where this comes from and I get that it's like, I mean, some women are like, we've been fighting for access for so long and it's so exhausting. Please don't like vilify. We don't have to vilify. We're not vilifying birth control. We're just having real talk about it, which should have happened in the sixties, the seventies, the eighties, the nineties. You see where I'm going with this? Mm. Like it's been a long time coming. And the fact that there are still people and doctors out there trying to silence women's voices from sharing their stories about birth control, from sharing their experience, from sharing research and all of that. I'm like, we've got to stop that. This censorship is so unethical. Like we have to stop that. Women, they need to be permitted to share their story and speak from a place of, of truth, of like what their truth is. And we, that's you, me, and everyone else need to stand back and ask, is that true for me? 
Because while it's true for her, doesn't mean it's true for you. And it's the same thing with side effects. And that's where I really want to see medicine and research going. Stop arguing whether or not women are telling the truth and start asking why some women struggle so hard and other women have no issue when it comes to being put on birth control. So speaking about just overall health and and looking at the different variables that play into that, you've gotten me recently on the blue light blocking glasses, uh, <laughs> that bandwagon. Um, and, you know, if we watch your Instagram stories, we'll see you harvesting much of your own food and you ground on a regular basis, um, which I love. There's so many aspects of our health that... I think many people don't realize truly impact their overall um, wellness. Can you explain the connection between many of those things that people don't typically look at as variables to their health? Mm, Well, I think the blue light blocking glasses are a big one. And I will say I was pretty good about wearing them, but I wasn't like as diligent as I am now. And what actually happened is I had a traumatic brain injury in 2016. And after that, I would get the worst headaches. And it it was really a wake up into how much the light we're exposed to really impacts our neurological health. And it was through that experience that I really went through like how to how our hormones affect our brain and and, and what's going on with all of this. But you know, with the blue light blocking glasses. So there's a particular uh, spectrum of light that shows up at sunrise and it hits the eyes and goes through the retina and signals to the pineal gland to break down melatonin and and then raise cortisol. Except that that same frequency is being emitted by these devices that we hold in our hands, this computer I'm staring at while I talk to you right now. And in that, you know, there has been research. I mean, I talk about in Beyond the Pill, the research from the 1970s showing that light pollution could disrupt women's hormones, ovulation, a women's, women's cycle. That was the 70s. That was before there was as much light pollution as there is now and that we were walking around with computers in our hands. So wearing those blue light blocking glasses can help us in the evening so that our melatonin levels rise and our cortisol levels fall, that stress hormone in the way that they should. And melatonin is more about than sleep. It's also an antioxidant. It protects your brain. It protects your ovaries. I mean, it is involved in so much that we have yet to explore in the body. So, you know, that's that's one uh, health practice. Um, you will see me wearing those quite a bit. I do ground a lot. So, you know, it's a funny thing that in naturopathic medicine, um, we were cool kids before it was cool. Um, <laughs> and it's fun. I just laugh because like, Hydrotherapy is part of our lineage. So doing cold plunges, um, ending your showers with cold water, earthing or grounding. So getting out into the soil, um, herbal medicine. We spent three years uh, learning herbal medicine, three years learning nutrition and doing that all while we're learning pharmacology and conventional medicine so that we can truly navigate that space. And that's the thing I think is really important for women to understand When they're like, well, my doctor um, dismissed my diet and said diet does nothing. Well, odds are your diet doctor isn't adequately trained to even have that opinion because that's not an educated opinion. That's a bias. Mm. My doctor said that like herbs and supplements do nothing and like they're a waste of money. And it's like, is your doctor sufficiently trained in herbal medicine to make that educated opinion? Uh, They're not. And so, um, you know, and that doesn't mean your doctor's bad or stupid. Please don't misunderstand me. Your doctor, 
is saving lives and doing really, really important things. But we have to remember that not every doctor or every licensed clinician knows everything about everything. And so with that, you know, uh, I remember the first time I had a patient say to me, oh, you're you're telling me to end my showers in cold water. Did you learn that from Tony Robbins? I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> no, like, not at all. Um, you know, and, and other things that, you know, I talk about, oh, yeah, I saw Dave Astry's doing. Is that where you learned it? I'm like, no, like, what? <laughs> like, um, so a lot of these things are, you know, foundational healthcare practices you know, dry skin brushing, seed cycling, castor oil packs. Like this is something that's been uh, very foundational. Um, my mentor called these basic treatment guidelines of like every patient should consider introducing some of these into their health practices. And now we're seeing they're super, super trendy and super, super cool um, that people are wanting to do it. And why is that? Because people feel better. And this is the thing that for people listening, I would love to see more research, of course, but you don't always need a study to validate what you're feeling and what you're experiencing. What I mean by that is that if you are, now we do have studies about ending your showers with cold water, but we didn't a couple decades ago. But if you were doing that and you felt better and you felt different, then, and your doctor says, well, there's no evidence. So why even bother? Like, do you really need to wait for evidence to know that like, well, I feel good when I do this? Mm, I love that. And Tony Robbins just got on the bandwagon just a little late, right? Um, (laughs) Who knows? He might have been doing it this like for his (laughs) whole life and like just now started talking about it. (laughs) That's always the perception though online is that people think that the moment they see it on social media is the moment that it happened or things arrived. Um, And it always cracks me up because people will find me and they're like, oh my God, it's so good to see someone finally talking about birth control. It's so good to finally say, I'm like, where you been? (laughs) Um, But I just crack up because you know, people, I I always like make that joke of like, you assume if you didn't see it on social media, then it didn't happen in real life. (laughs) It wasn't happening before that moment. Right. I know. Right. I'm like, I try to explain to people, I'm like, no, I'm just old and wasn't on social media a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Gosh. So thinking about selfish in a positive way, what are your favorite ways to be selfish? Oh, man. You know, that that question for women, I mean, just the fact that maybe you go to bed without folding the laundry, society's like, selfish. Maybe you hire a babysitter so that you can get like five minutes to yourself without any noise. Selfish. Um, <laughs> that like you decide to like, you know, take two hours to make that that like really fancy meal that you've been eyeballing. And like, you know, I think think it's really funny how much we're told that like so many things are are um selfish and that self-care is selfish and i think it's of generations past i mean i remember of all places i remember um going on this dental mission trip to the mountains of guadalajara so i used to work in dentistry um mm. and i would do these trips um in service to help people in underserved communities get access to dental care and I remember being on this plane this little tiny prop plane uh, with this woman. Um, and she was like, at that time, like I was like in my early twenties, she was in her later fifties, very different generation. No judges here. It's a generational thing that women have been told. And, um, her saying, like I was reading this magazine about how this woman takes time to work out. And she's like, no matter what, like I always work out and like, just how selfish that is that she's not putting her family first. And I just remember Mm. sitting there thinking like, whoa, but like, 
if she doesn't work out, like she's going to have health problems. And if she doesn't work out, then like, you know, she's not going to feel good. And like, I, you know, that was my like 20 something brain being like, but there's all these downstream effects that could happen if she didn't work out. But that was still something that this woman deemed this mother to be selfish. Now, is that because this woman was a bad person? No, not at all. It's because of the story that society was teaching her that she decided to subscribe to. And that's like, that's so much of how I like to talk about what's going on currently in women's medicine. And this is actually, I borrow from uh, Charles Eisenstein. He has wonderful books. I highly recommend them. And they're not on health. They kind of are. And he, he just talks about how there's old stories and there's new stories. And when you view things as stories, like I think about, so I actually, uh, homeschool slash unschool my kid. Uh, and just like now we're writing with pencils. I haven't written with a pencil in like mm. 10 years. <laughs> and just being like, oh, you can go back and erase. You can erase. <laughs> and you can be like, write a new story. And that's really what we need to do in women's medicine. We need to acknowledge and honor the stories that serve us and the stories that don't serve us and see them just as that. We don't have to judge anybody. We don't have to judge ourselves. We don't have to hate on anybody. And we can just view that story and say, does this story serve me? Or do I maybe want to write a new story? And I think that's probably one of my favorite ways to be selfish is to ask, is this serving me? And is this story that society has taught me that maybe I've bought into and I'm perpetuating serving me? If it's not, rewrite it. What do I really want life to look like? What is really my experience? I love that. What is next for Dr. Brighton? Well, <laughs> I'm drinking lion's mane uh, right now. <laughs> you know, I was choked as you asked that because um, so I, I don't think a lot of people know right now. Um, so I'm close to taking new patients um, because uh, my son has an autoimmune condition that impacts his brain. And so a lot of my energy and attention is going into helping heal my son. And this is a place where I definitely, if you follow my Instagram, you see me in the ebb and the flow of chaos. Mm -hmm. um, and so in all of that right now, it's really about getting my son back. We're almost a year into this journey. Pandas is one of the most painful, hellish experiences that you can't even describe to anyone. And when you're in it, you're just like, I don't even know how people survive this. Yet I mm -hmm. take hope because so many mothers have come before me and they have. They've not only survived it, but they have they have done tremendous things. Um so what next right now is I am definitely family centered, which is interesting to be a CEO of a company and to be an author and a speaker and to be like, but I have to keep putting my family first in all of this. So um, that's a big thing right now. But we are putting on a, another women's hormone conference online and it's called Take Back Your Hormones. And I honestly didn't think I had it in me to do this until I had just we received um Oh my, it was like seriously over 10,000 messages of women wow. asking for this again. Yeah. I mean, last year we ran a post birth control syndrome awareness week online conference. And, um, you know, in that we had like over 70,000 women attend. Um, and those are just the people who actually signed up. There were a lot of women who were watching it with like, they were having like groups, like book clubs, all mm. watching it together. So that we can't even account for. So, 
we are working on that. And I am always just looking for like, my mission is to really change women's medicine for the better and not through preaching to doctors and not through what's been done in the past dogmatic uh, prescriptions to women of like, I wear the white coat, therefore don't question anything. It's really through how can we educate women? How can we support them? How can we make sure that they have the information they need so they know they're making the best decision for themselves? And there's so many women using Beyond the Pill, showing us that and showing their doctors what what doctors said couldn't be done. She did it. And I'm, I am so like enlivened by the stories when women say, my doctor was like, yeah, right. You're not going to be able to do that. I've never seen that happen. And I came back and said, I did it. And they're like, tell me everything because I want to help my other patients in this way. Like that is the mm. power of one woman healing herself. And when she heals herself and she shares her story and she has the energy to show up in bigger ways in this world, she's quite literally, it's, it's a force to be reckoned with. I, I cannot convey to the listeners enough that this is just a taste of what Dr. Brighton is like. And I participated in that online uh, webinar series. And typically when there's multiple speakers, you know, you kind of pick and choose your favorites and you just kind of have to let the others go. This was one where I had to listen to every single speaker. And, you know, there's so many doctors that have the same logic and thinking that you do. And it was just so refreshing to um, hear so many different perspectives, but they were all aligning and, you know, driving home the same message. So um, that is definitely one for listeners not to miss. But I just want to say I am thrilled that we got a chance to talk and thank you from the bottom of my heart for the knowledge that you have shared with women about their health. And it was just a joy to have you on the show. So thank you so much. Yeah, thank you so much. And I'm so glad that you were a part of that Awareness Week last year. You know, something we do really different because there's, you know, all these online events um, going on is that we do set this up to be a conference style, that what you learn is going to be actionable, that you are going to want to take notes. But we also give you a program guide ahead of time. Because I hate that. Like, I don't, I don't believe in FOMO because I think that FOMO, I just see it punish women all the time. Because if you are missing out on something, it's usually because you're prioritizing the right thing. But we set up a schedule so that you can see the tracks ahead of time, scheduling all the classes, not be caught off guard with it. And something I do really different is I don't try to bring in the most popular people. Yes, we do have very popular people mm -hmm. on there. But I try to bring in people like doctors who are actually practicing medicine that have something very empowering and unique to say, and they haven't been given the place to say it. And researchers who are in their labs doing the research, but women aren't hearing from them directly because they don't have time to be on Instagram or to be, you know, doing some of these other things. And so I'm really glad that you got to be a part of it. I'm glad that it benefited you. And I'd love to see, you know, as many women as possible be able to get access to this information. But, you know, if nothing else, you guys listen to this, pat yourselves on the back because you took this time, you really gifted it to yourself to deepen your knowledge about your body, about your choices. And I want to just encourage everybody listening to share this. Yeah. Um, definitely share this information. If there's other episodes on this podcast that you found helpful, be sure to share it because 
you know, it's something that I I just don't think um, we we can share too much when it comes to disseminating information and sharing it with friends and just saying this might be helpful for you. And if not, no worries. But if yes, pass it along. Amen. Thank you, Dr. Brighton. Like what you just heard? Visit us at SelfishThePodcast.com. Subscribe and leave a review on iTunes today.